Welcome to Self-Care with Dr. Sarah. I am Sarah R., and today I'm going to be interviewing Tanisha Gordon. Uh, Tanisha, uh, would you like to say hello to our listeners? Hi, everyone. Glad to be here today. I met Tanisha in Bali, actually, randomly about, what, a month ago? October? Yeah. A little more than a month ago at a wedding, and I was just really impressed with... um, just Tanisha in a lot of different ways, and in one in particular, how amazing she is at self-care, which is why I've invited her on uh, the podcast today. So, Tanisha, could you tell us a little bit about what you do just for your career? Uh, you're a consultant, so that's different from a lot of the academics we've had on our show, but also an area that a lot of academics go into. Oh, absolutely. So, I am what... Uh industry calls a, a management consultant, um, and I know that's one of the probably the most vague <laughs> um, job titles in industry right now, but basically what I do is I help um, global companies, and I primarily focus on life sciences, so I help a lot of healthcare manufacturers, biopharma companies figure out how they need to design their solution products and services in a secure uh, manner and making sure that whatever they do from a process, design, product rollout perspective complies with privacy regulations in various markets that they plan to um, release their products. So that's pretty much um, at a high level what I do. From a day-to-day perspective, sometimes the business question can range from how do I need to organize my privacy organization to I want to develop a digital platform, how do I do that securely, or I have data of this sort of customer or these types of patients and I want to know if I could use that data, what can I use that data to do? Um, And how can I provide value to our customers, our patients, or our shareholders? So those tend to be some of the typical business questions um, I need to deal with from a day-to-day basis. So I hope that was some clarity. Yeah, yeah. And you've been doing this now, what, for 10 years or or so? Yeah, a little bit over 10 years. And this has brought you all over the world as well, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I actually, um, in, uh, I went to Cornell for undergrad and grad school and moved to Washington, D.C., where I started at another consulting company, and I was primarily focused on strategy and transformation, and that took another, uh, that was a more strategic approach to the business um, and some of our clients' challenges, so a lot of it more so would be around how do I organize my organization? Um, who do I hire? If I do have a breach, a data breach, um, well, how should I design my internal processes to handle that? If I want to release a product, not just from a, a privacy perspective, but how should I size up the market? And mm-hmm. then I switched to another company doing similar types of work, but more so really focused on risk and just product platforms and technology. So when I hear that someone's a consultant, I think the first thing that crosses my mind is that they're working 100 hours a week, flying multiple times a week all across the world, and self-care is probably not high on, <laughs> on, the, on the list. So I'm, I'm really curious because when I met you, I was like, here's this high-powered career businesswoman who's also just a lovely person, has great friendships. Great. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Just glows, you know, with an inner confidence and beauty I, and, and striking too. Striking, Aww. I will say. Oh, don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make your, your listeners, your, your, you're setting up a high bar here. No, Sarah. but it is, but it's a, it's a true bar. Like I, like I was impressed. And, and what really impressed me is how grounded you are with 
like you said, I, I think one of the first things you said uh, that really hit me was, well, exercise comes first. And, and even just today when we were chatting right before, you were like, uh, I just put myself first. So yeah. I, that's what I really want to talk to you about is how in such a, a busy... Because uh, academia is maybe very, you know, for all of the stress that it has, it's also very accommodating and flexible. You can work the hours you want to, but you're kind of bound in by clients. You have to get projects done. You're on a deadline. You have teams that you're managing. And before that, you were being managed. So you have a lot of pressure and you do work a lot of hours. And how is it that you're able to uh, navigate that world, which like I associate with a lot of stress and actually a lot of people not taking care of themselves and you actually having been like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to uh, carve out the time that I need for, for various self-care things. So I would love to hear about that. And also your, your trifecta, what did you say? You have three things that you focus on with self-care as well. Absolutely. So the, I'll tackle the first part. So it's not something that I knew exactly what I was getting into when I decided to join consulting. Because um, I, again, I started to consulting right out of school. So I, I didn't know the demands and, and the pressure that it would take um, from a time perspective, emotional perspective, and just overall well-being. So it was definitely um, a live and learn um, as you go along kind of methodology. Um, yes. And to answer the first part of your question in terms of the travel and the lifestyle, the consulting lifestyle is not conducive, um, to having, you know, the best, um, self-care, uh, Mm -hmm. in the world. So that is a, a good point. So yes, you do travel, whether you live on the East coast and have to travel to the West coast, um, every, every week you're flying out Monday, you're getting back home Thursday night, sometimes Fridays, um, you're living in a suitcase sometimes right now I live in Amsterdam. I'm from the U S you know, spent two and a half years in Amsterdam. But even when I was living in the U S I would have to fly across Europe or to Asia for work. So it's, it's, it's really a a strenuous lifestyle. And that's why it's even more important for you to put boundaries in place and figure out what works for you. So, you know, I think when I first started consulting, people had this whole thing called work-life balance. And I tried to do that. And it's just very, very difficult to have this thing um, called work-life balance. Because on one part, that means that you have to put something on one side and the other. And you're just walking around trying to level each every day. And that could be time-consuming as, as well as stressful. So for me, I really just made it a work-life integration. And I think... Yeah. Um, it was easier for me to integrate both work and life because I really actually like what I do. Um, I think in other careers it might be harder to do so, but I don't have, and this might sound crazy to people, but I don't have what people call these boundaries when it comes to work. And because I don't have boundaries when it comes to work in my personal life, I don't put any boundaries when it comes to work of my personal interests. So if I'm at work and I feel like I need a massage or I need to get my nails done, I will leave at noon or two to go do that. And then Mm. I'll lock back on and do work. Right. So, um, Mm. for me, it's really around integrating the two because work as you know, you're, you're also a scientist, um, you're a a physicist, uh, Sarah. So I think the, the amount of time you dedicate to your craft and the amount of study 
and money you paid on your education, your work and your career ends up being a little part of your identity. So I see that as just, you know, my career just being one part of my identity. And why would I separate a woman being a woman from being black or being a consultant from being a, a, a an adopted parent like to mm-hmm. me it's all in one so that's why integrating the two made sense for me and I'm just mm-hmm. really over time became strict about um putting myself first because I realized one I'm not a doctor that can cure diseases so mm-hmm. no one is really dying if I don't <laughs> get something done and I same think, in astronomy. Let's be honest. Astronomy. No one is dying. It's tolerably useless, as I've heard it described. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think if you, I can't speak for all professions, but for consultants, for sure, you know, this type of consulting, unless you're like a consultant for the emergency room at a high intense hospital, nothing that I do will really result in someone dying. And I think that just puts perspective in the work that I do. And for me, self-care, if I had to define it, it means really giving yourself the nurturing, the nutrition, the feeding yourself with things that make you feel more like who you are, that allows Mm -hmm. you to operate at your full potential. And for me, that means fitness. For me, that means emotional stability. For me, for me, that means some sort of sound spirituality. It means Mm -hmm. a good diet. It means Mm -hmm. balancing and having time for friends and family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with the world that we live in, when you have family, you have coworkers, you have friends, you have clients, and everybody wants to suck a piece of you or get a piece of your time or get a piece of your idea or just take something from you. If you don't fill yourself, nurture yourself mm. and give yourself what you need, they, they're not going to get what you need to provide them as well. So that's kind of my philosophy around self-care and really nurturing yourself, focusing on yourself first, because if you don't, you don't have anything to give. I'm not going to be able to be a great aunt. I'm not going to be able to be a good friend. I'm not going to be able to be um, a good professional or service provider or advisor to my client. Wow, there's so much wisdom, I will say, in that last <laughs> little bit. And I and one thing that I've never thought about it, you you kind of have shifted my paradigm a bit because I have tried to fit into the work-life balance and kind of segregate those two things. But I really like how... Um, it is the modern workforce where, you know, we do, we are on email all the time, you know, at home, there are work hours do become nebulous. And then why can't it go back the other way where if you need personal time during the day, uh, that should also get fit in. So I really like that point. I've never thought about it that way Mm -hmm. as well for me, like how I have thought about it is I need these things to be sustainable in my day to day life. So I used to think, well, I will work really hard this week and then, you know, then I'll go on vacation or whatever. I don't know. You know, I used to really separate out the self-care time from the work time mm-hmm. um, or just not even self-care time, also just friends or, or hobby time. I do a lot mm-hmm. of dance and I write and, and it just has become increasingly clear to me that life is never going to be less busy. So you have to, in what way you can make them sustainable in your day-to-day Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I feel like sometimes, even if you think about things like attention span, 
our attention span, especially with the advent of this recent technology, recent technology and social media, our attention span is just so short. So yeah. even if you're at work and you're at that type of job where you're supposed to just sit at a desk and work for eight hours straight, that's humanly impossible, right? Yeah. So yeah. even those down times where you're like, okay, I can't really figure out this problem or uh, this the data that's coming in, it's not clean or, and I'm thinking about your specific profession as well, you know, I just need a little bit more time for this, that new article to be published or for the data mm-hmm. to come in and crunch it or my data scientist is out. Mm-hmm. That break in time, wh- mm-hmm. why scroll Facebook? Why scroll? Yeah. Figure out what your next trip is. You know, yeah. call your mom, right? Yeah. Um, go yeah. take an hour to wor- um, work out or just go for a long walk. Go read yeah. your favorite book. And then come back to work. And that's the kind of, you know, sometimes integration is really that small. Or, Mm. you know, at one point in time, I adopted my niece. And that even put more strain on my time because I had to be there for her. And I had to figure out really creative ways of integrating her into my life. And then how does that whole thing work? And I just made everyone at work knew about my niece, knew I adopted a niece. All of a sudden, she had a director in one side of the business that decided to take her for a full day of how how does design thinking works because she was studying she wanted to go to university to be an artist and a designer and those are figure out how to make work work for you and other mm-hmm. parts of your life so I did stuff like that she interned with the firm um, she her. worked with with people at the firm and I think if you even see people at your company or where you work with just don't see them as work people or workhorses they're human as well and trying to figure out that balance mm-hmm. and you even creating or fostering a relationship with them can also help with their self-care because then they're having more meaningful interaction that's not just about work. You can talk to them about different topics of interest as well. So I think it could manifest in different ways and it's just around how you can think about it in a way that balances you and all the other facets of your life. Yeah, and I mean, I think you make a good point and especially with you know the tragic circumstances that led to you adopting your niece, we all have something going on in our lives, or at least at some point in our lives, something major. And to just look at our colleagues and not appreciate that, you know, that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someone's mom is dying of cancer or something, you know, it's, we, we tend to sometimes forget that. I really respect it when people do treat employees as full people, but often I feel that doesn't always get done in the corporate world, That's especially true. when there's like this I would say mainly, especially in finance, it's not mm-hmm. stereotypically, that's not how people are treated or also in academia, maybe a lesser extent and in consulting, but in these higher power professions where work quantity and output are kind of put at the top and at the premium, mm-hmm. but really we're all human, you know, and we all have something uh, happen. And I really think it's beautiful that you were able to integrate that situation and with your niece and bringing her into also your work life and it sounds like a really incredible way that also benefited her uh, absolutely absolutely and I think if we really think about it and don't think about work as just this place that drains us and gives us a paycheck at the end of the week Mm -hmm. if you if you open up a little bit more and I know it's hard sometimes to be vulnerable but if you open up a little bit more whether it's to your 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 company counselor or your advisor or your mentor or your sponsor within your organization, hmm. like people respond to that because at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? That's so true. I think my specific firm is, does a really good job at that, but I had to just think about it just now. Yeah. My firm that I was at before that, 
I also had to take care of my sister. I have a younger sister who had cancer. Mm -hmm. And when she was diagnosed stage three, they basically said she had 60 days to live. Mm -hmm. And long story short, one of my closest friends in DC at the time, her mother had just worked on a on a, um, a study as well as a, a cure at NIH for the specific type of cancer. And we were able to get my little sister into that program. And she's fully cancer-free now and everything. But during that time, we didn't have any family that lived in the DC area. So it had to be me at 24 working at a very intense consulting company and taking care of my 18-year-old sister dying of mm -hmm. cancer. And when I made that very clear to everyone at my company, but made sure that my work stayed, you know, at a certain level, everyone was totally fine with that. They knew every Thursday Tanisha needed to leave at one o'clock or two o'clock because I needed to sit to be with my sister during her mm -hmm. chemo treatment. I didn't do any work on the weekend. I came in at 10 o'clock. So I think it's really sometimes just figuring out where you fit in your company and what is expected of you from a delivery perspective and do that. And then as much as the companies pull from you, Figure out what you can pull from them, you know? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Again, like, I know you, so I know this these stories, but I just want to reflect on how amazing of a person you are to have gone through all of that at such a young age. It's just really, it's, I'm, I'm just impressed again. <laughs> but if there wasn't self-care and boundaries, like, it's easy to kind of fall, you know, right. into depression right. or you know, get really sick yourself or right. just get very overwhelmed. But if you start, you know, creating like yeah. healthy boundaries and sometimes you, you don't know that you, you have unhealthy boundaries until something happens. Well, that often illuminates them, right? I mean, exactly. often you don't, you don't realize that something's not working until it's really not working. I mean, we were talking a bit about this <laughs> before, the, before we started recording, but how we've sometimes avoided paperwork and other things in our lives that, have, <laughs> you know, we don't realize how bad it is until it really is painful, like mm -hmm. in a very visceral sense, exactly. <laughs> because, because we're getting now burned by our, our avoidance of a problem mm -hmm. and and we were also talking, one thing I wanted to come back to, you had kind of mentioned this, but this boundaries with friends and how we, over time, I think we do have a lot going on in our lives and you, you've described some of that and being able to be the full person for our friends as well as our work and our family and romantic partner, that's overwhelming. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and so part of this is it's healthy to set boundaries. And so I wanted to talk about how through your life, you've kind of come to a better place with really nurturing the friendships uh, that you have that are important to you, seeking out the people that do lift you up and being able to find those true connection while also maintaining your incredible busy schedule when, and with that comes inherent time constraints. So I think that's a really good question, Sarah. So I think before trying to figure out how to balance your friends and and everything of that nature, I think we have to be very clear and realistic um, about relationships in general. So I think first, when people say I have a boyfriend or I have a husband or I have a best friend, you see those titles as one thing that that whole person is supposed to 
provide to you, the receiver. So if you have a best friend, I should be able to tell my best friend everything. She should be there for me. She should do this. My husband, he needs to be my best friend. He needs to be my everything. He needs to be, I think we have to have realistic expectations of the roles that people play in our lives as it relates to this umbrella, umbrella, human connection, human linkage thing called relationships. And I think from a friendship perspective, realistically, you're not going to have one friend that could satisfy all of your needs from an emotional friendship human interaction perspective. And that has just always been my my tale on things or my perspective on things. And likewise, I'm not going to think one friend is going to be able to satisfy everything that I need from out of a friend. And I'm very clear with a lot of my friends that I am not going to be able to be X, Y for you. I can be Z or I can mm-hmm. be A, B, C, but I can't be the rest of the alphabets. So I yeah. think we have to have really realistic expectations of our friends and be very clear about what we're good at and what we're not good at. And I'm not afraid to vocalize that with friends and with family as well. It's harder with families, of course, but with friends, I, I make that very clear. So I think the first thing we have to do is be realistic around what we call friends or what we call boyfriends or what we call partners, like what those roles are and the fact that one person can't fulfill that and we can't have high expectations of one friend or friends in general to meet all those needs. The second thing I think is going to be really critical is to also be honest with yourself. How can I actually provide value to a friend? And also be be clear that maybe me in the relationship, not every, the third thing is not in every relationship will it be symbiotic immediately. There may be phases in the relationship where you're pouring into the person and they're unable to pour into you. And the nucleus or the, the, the dynamic of the relationship might switch where they end up pouring into you and you're not able to pour in as much into them. So I think if we're clear about these things and just the nature of relationships in general, we can then figure out boundaries. And because I understand that the friends that I have are not going to meet all my needs, no one friend going to meet all my needs, I may have multiple. And because even if you combine them, they may not, they can't solve all my problems Mm. because maybe a friends are not supposed to do that. I won't burden them with all my problems. And Mm. I try to have the same balance with, with my friends. And the second point where I say, you know, be realistic, realistic about the value add that you can provide into your friend with your friendships or to your friends. I know one of my redeeming qualities is like, I'm really good at just listening and I'm non-judgmental. So When a friend needs a, a, a lending ear, I'm, I'm really good at that. If friends need money, they're like literally near bankrupt or having financial issues. I am really good with money. I will loan you money and I will make you get out of whatever financial issue that you've had. I've done that with multiple good friends. Good skill. Yeah. So like, I know like th- those are my really good things. And yeah. um, because of that, you know, I've been able to navigate things, you know, really well with certain friends. And there has been there, I've had issues, not issues, but I've had instances where a friend may have thought or required a little bit more from me. And I've had to be very clear. So for example, I had one friend, we were really, really good friends. We weren't best friends, but we were really good friends. And I knew for her, I can give her career advice 
because I, you know, I love my career <laughs> and she was yeah. having issues around work-life balance. I taught her about the integration part and she was trying to figure out how does she communicate things to her, um, her boss and she was having issues at work. So I can talk her through those things. We also both like to eat. So we bond mm-hmm. on those things. We both like, both like art. We bond on those things, but she mm-hmm. wanted to pivot in a very, in more of a place that would require a lot more emotional investment Mm -hmm. that I just didn't have the bandwidth for. Right. So in that respect, she would say, okay, I want you to be my maid of honor. I want you, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and our relationship from my perspective was not at the level where I should be your maid of honor. I didn't know your husband. I didn't as well as I know you, I wasn't part of that relationship. We, you know, you haven't even met my mother. I never met your mother. I should not be your maid of honor. And I had to tell her, I will not be your maid of honor. That's not the type of friendship we have. We haven't crossed that boundary. So it's also being very honest and in a very respectful way. And what I told her is, but I will do everything else that needs to be done for this wedding. I will give the speech. I will clean things up. I help you prep um, the presents. But I know being a maid of honor, what that meant. And I did not have the emotional energy to do that. And I knew if I took that role, then that meant something else that I knew I couldn't invest in. So it's really being honest and clear about these things and what you can give and what you can't. And, um, because I'm tried to lead, like even at work, I lead from a very authentic place and in friendship, I tried to be as real or authentic as possible. And because I do that, I think a lot of people or a lot of friends see me as not just nice, but like, I have the best intentions. So if I come back and say, no, I can't do this, it's, it's never, is rarely received as malicious or malintent or I just want to be mean and hurtful. It's from mm-hmm. an honest place. And I think being able to live that way, but just be honest and authentic, when you say something that's really serious to a friend, like I can't, I can't do X, Y, Z. This is just not how I operate. They'll receive it. And in the same respect, if my friends say, I don't want to discuss that topic with you, or this is not something I can't, I have to respect it. Yeah. And that's just how I, because every human is different. Everything that works for one may not work for all. And we just have to be very conscious that everyone is different. Everyone receives things different. Everyone have different needs, but everyone also have different talents that they can give to provide value into that relationship. Well, I think, you know, as I was listening to you saying the story, it takes a lot of courage, you know, to also set up those boundaries. I think, especially with friends, also family, as you said, even more so with family, but it can be hard to say no, or Mm -hmm. when you can't meet maybe all of the needs and it, you have to be honest first with yourself and then also with, with those friends and be open and vulnerable about how you're going to be able to be there for them in the best mm-hmm. way that is there for you. And that navigating that can be really hard. The other thing I was thinking about when you were talking is you ha- how you said there's not one friend that meets every need. And, and I just read this article recently on this blog that I really like by Eric Barker called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it says there are eight friends that you need to be happy in life is the title. And it basically is just this, that no one person is going to be all of that. Exactly. So things like the builder, you know, someone who's going to lift you up, motivate you constantly, your rah-rah section, yep. um, that sort of person. I fit in that section. 
Yeah, yeah, that is definitely <laughs> that's definitely yet yeah, one of one of the things that I do for people. Uh, the champion, someone who isn't afraid to break out the pom poms and play cheerleader, you know, and roots for you in a way mm-hmm. that makes other people blush, like mm-hmm. over over an abundance. Then there's the collaborator, you know, who loves the same things you do, has similar interests. The companion, as he describes it, says, simply put, a best friend, they won't just help you move, they'll help you move bodies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the person who will still be there when everyone else has wisely run for cover. Um, and that can't be with very many people, you know? That's only right. a few people in your life. The connector, no matter what the issue, they know someone who can help, they make mm-hmm. friends often, and they really can connect you with other people. You need this, they'll put you in touch with that person. The energizer, this is a fun friend, person you're always laughing around. The mind opener, this is definitely me. They send you mm-hmm. interesting articles. That's definitely you. This is you. like 100% me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get you to question your assumptions. Talking to them uh, makes your brain do things. What does he say? Things straight out of the dream sequences from inception. You know, they expand your horizons, <laughs> encourage you to embrace new ideas, opportunities, cultures, and people. And then the last one is the navigator, which is where I put my mentor, who I, my life, uh, that I've referred to a lot on this podcast, but they're your sounding board, they're your GPS system. When you don't know which exit to take, they, they tell you. And it's true, like, you're not that for everyone, nor are all your friends or even your best friend that for you, Right. let alone a partner or family. And so having realistic expectations and also knowing what your strengths are and bring to the relationship can be, can be really good. Because sometimes friends don't want, you know, so, say you're the, the friend who will help sort through a situation, a difficult situation, and kind of give constructive things. Maybe that's not what you always need, though. Sometimes, you know, you need the friend who's just going to, like, listen no matter, mm-hmm. no matter what and not give constructive feedback. So it's like, you know, there's, exactly. it depends, in each situation, it's also going to morph what you need at any one time, but not expecting any one person in your life to to meet that need exactly is really and i think the reason sometimes you know the issue with relationships when you when you hit, it hits a wall or a chasm or they start having challenges is when you have expectations for i'm sorry sarah i'm hearing my echo hello hello well there was a catastrophic technical failure so the call was permanently dropped we will be back with part two tomorrow thank you for listening to self-care with dr sarah